Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Aaron Gordon here, and we are back here with the Aaron Gordon Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I have my special guest, Jacqueline Robinson, here. We uh, were, well, former uh, Seton Hall Pirates at the same time. We went in together in 2016. She was in a soccer player, and I was in a basketball player uh, for Seton Hall. How's everything going? It's going good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. So, you know, most of my followers are from the Midwest. Um, I think a lot of people probably don't necessarily know what it's like growing up on the East Coast, especially being an athlete on the East Coast. What was that entire experience like, you know, being on the competitive side of really the the United States and, you know, just growing up in New Jersey and, um, you know, just just growing up playing soccer and uh, obviously you were a multi-sport sport athlete, but we'll get into that. But what was it like, you know, just growing up in New Jersey? Yeah, I love New Jersey. Um, I grew up by the beach, so it was definitely a very different vibe than probably most people grew up with. Yeah, but with sports, it was always super, super competitive, especially soccer. There was always a lot of really good players coming out of New Jersey, um, going to top tier schools. So I was really grateful to grow up around that. And it was always competitive and I was always getting better, even just high school club. So did you feel the pressure to go to Seton Hall? Like, was that a, a tough decision for you? Um, a little bit after uh, I had started speaking to the coach. Yeah. And it was just a little kind of even for my family and stuff to stay in New Jersey, stay in the area, you know, the whole shore girl recognition thing. And uh, definitely at Seton Hall, people kind of enjoy that. And, you know, there's a lot of New Jersey people that stay there. Yeah. It's funny because like my experience at Seton Hall, I was not expecting so many people from New Jersey to go to Seton Hall. And I don't know why, because it's so close to, you know, New York, I was expecting, you know, to be a lot of people from everyone in the tri-state area, a couple people from the New England area, but there's a lot of, you know, what we say, New Jerseyans, um, Jersey, <laughs> sometimes people say. And I was kind of shocked. I thought it was like a, a true, like international school. But when I was out there, obviously, I came from Indianapolis. And, um, you know, I think that was a, a really good experience just for me to go there. And, you know, just to see so many people from New Jersey, from smaller towns, because I really started to really start to understand how New Jersey is. And, in my mind, I was thinking that New Jersey is just like a just a random like suburb of New York City if you haven't been out there. But no, it's it's got its own like different flair. Like it's very different than New York City. Like it's it's um they have a lot of different suburbs. They have a lot of different townships. They have a lot of different areas. And if you're in Newark, per se, it's a lot different than where you're from near the beach. And it's uh, very different. So what was that experience like, you know, just living near the beach, uh, you know, kind of just you know, living differently than a lot of other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm blessed to just have grown up in that way and around the Jersey pride that I'm supposed to. Um, I think it was a little different because growing up in Central Jersey, like you were saying, even when, you know, people that live closer to the city, it's a bit different culture, culturally. So mm-hmm. it was a lot more calmer for me, but in Very the diverse. town that I lived in, yeah. I grew up in Madawan, so it was still a very diverse town. So I still saw so many different types of people, and I was around that, which was great. How far away were you from Philadelphia? Probably about two, two hours. Two hours, and you were what, about two hours away from New York City? Yeah. Yeah. Get there about an hour and a half. Oh, an hour and a half. Okay, okay. Did you use the drain system going up? Like, what was that like? Because uh, I know a lot of people that in New Jersey that don't, or some people that only use the train system. That was what was so weird to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I took the trains a lot, actually. I ended up going to a Catholic high school out of my town. So I yeah. would take the train all the time to school in the morning after practices, really? stuff like that. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, you're, so is that like a normal thing? Like were parents like, were, were people ever scared to like take the train in the morning to school? Um, not really. We kind of had our own little group of kids and we would all meet up at our different train stops and take the train in together. Dang, so, that's so cool. It was nice. It's a totally different so, experience. <laughs> so what was it like being a multi-sport athlete? Cause you know, you, you did high jump, you played basketball, you, uh, you played soccer. What was that like, you know, in high school, you know, was that, you know, overwhelming? Cause obviously you still have to be a good student to get into to Seton Hall and, uh, you know, have to worry about all that. What was that entire process like for you? Um, I always loved playing multiple sports. So kind of cutting down to go to college was a big change for me. Um, I played all different types of sports growing up, soccer, like you were saying, basketball, even so. I knew you track. played basketball, but I didn't know you 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 uh did high jump. I did not know that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you were busy all year round. Like there was you did not have not one off season in high school. Yeah, no, no. I, I loved it though. You know, sports was my home for me. I met so many amazing people playing sports on a team for basketball, a club for soccer. So it was great. And I definitely would have changed for anything looking back. I feel like it definitely shaped a large part of me now. So what was it like um, when you wanted to decide to, to study engineering? Because obviously uh, everyone knows that's probably the toughest or maybe the second toughest thing to study in school. And I know you didn't just randomly just say, okay, I want to be an engineer one day. You know, what, what is it? Um, did you have family or did you just see something one day? Like, how did you go about, you know, saying, okay, I want to become an engineer one day? Um, I was just always very interested in it when I was younger. I always wanted to tinker with little things, whether it was like a fan or something. And my mm -hmm. parents would just always buy me the small kits, anything they could do, the little solar powered cars that I could build <laughs> myself, all that stuff. So I kind of was around it from a young age, thanks to my parents and that just kind of continued with that love for that. I always enjoyed math and engineering. So I definitely thought it was a good way to also make a change within communities and now being in sustainability, kind of able to do that a bit more. So you may not remember this, but there was one day where this was this something that stuck out with me. You talked to me about Habitat for Humanity. You did something like that when you were in high school. I did not know what exactly that was. I'm not sure if you did that while you were in college, but you had told me about it. What was that process like and how did that help you as a person? Yeah, Habitat for Humanity, I didn't do it into college, but I did it in high school and was mm -hmm. part of the club. It's a great experience to just see different people from different backgrounds and be able to give back and help out. You know, we're not, we think sometimes maybe a house is something so little, yeah. so taken for granted for, but, you know, people really need the help out there and it's it's pretty amazing. And these people are just always so grateful and always also then willing to give back to you and knowledge back. Yeah. And also you did make a wish foundation. What was that, you know, like, you know, how fulfilling was that, you know, going into high school, I mean, going into college. Yeah. I loved working with kids. I was coaching at the time too. So make a wish is great because the kids are just so, impactful and they're so energetic all the time no matter what's going on in their lives mm -hmm. they're just really happy to be a part of it and be there so it's a great organization um i hope to maybe one day get back into make a wish but the kids just make it amazing so what was your experience like at seton hall because i think a lot of people had a lot of different experiences especially like for someone that was from far away i really got to really experience new jersey 
I never obviously went home. I went home once a year and uh, New Jersey is pretty much like my home. You know, what was that experience like for you to go there? Did you go back home at all? Was it hard, you know, having the pressure of, you know, still being at home and, you know, people are probably, you know, asking you how you're doing and everyone's just a call away, you know, what was that like? Cause see, for me, when I left, you know, I still obviously had contact with, you know, people back home, but it was a little different. Like it didn't feel like there was any tug of, you know, I kind of just knew I was off my mind. What was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, going to Seton Hall before I went, my parents kind of made me make a pact with them saying I couldn't come home too often because they wanted <laughs> to almost push me out of the house a bit yeah. and get me out on my own. But I was lucky enough to be close to my house. I was about 45 minute drive and family is really important for me. So it was wonderful to still be able to see my parents, have them come up for the games. And I think that's part of the reason why I decided to go to Seton Hall, even though the area was a bit different than central Jersey and the shore. Yeah. So what was your favorite moment just being a Seton Hall student, not even just being an athlete, but, you know, being a Seton Hall student, what was your favorite moment? Wow. It's a tough one. My favorite moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, probably senior night when, yeah, we, we went on to my senior night with senior year and it was pretty amazing because it was people that had graduated from four years ago, you know, people that were new to the team and everything. And we all just kind of came together on that day and it was amazing. And we finally got a, a win as well, which was pretty great. And it was just nice to kind of see, you know, the community and all the amazing people that I've met kind of come together in that moment and, you know, celebrate all of us together. So, you know, I have experience, um, not, you know, there's going to be a lot of younger viewers, especially, you know, basketball players, et cetera, girls and boys and girls, basketball players, of course. Talk about your experience playing in the Big East and how hard it was and how hard it was to maintain, you know, athletics and academics and practice schedule. Because I think a lot of people, don't necessarily know exactly how hard it is. And, you know, what did you do to become successful to, you know, graduate really well, um, you know, do the the right things, be a leader, um, and just uh, pretty much just have an overall just good, you know, college career on and off the field? Yeah, I definitely think time management was the biggest thing for me that I had to learn when I first had gotten in my freshman year. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you definitely experienced that as well. Yeah, it was tough. I I think my freshman year, I really struggled with time management because I wanted to just do everything at, at, you know, I just wanted to be everywhere. And I think that's one thing that I noticed when I went to New Jersey that I didn't necessarily have when I was in Indianapolis is like, because in Indianapolis, um, you know, normally people normally may go out maybe once a a week, maybe a Saturday, Um, even it's not even really popular to go out on Fridays. And um, you know, you normally only hung out with people at certain times. There wasn't really a lot to do. There's no concerts. There's no, it's just really nothing until Saturday. And, you know, it's just really easy. But when I went out to New Jersey, there was always something going on Thursday, Friday, um, in the mornings, during the day, you could travel to New York City. And I think like for me, that was the hardest part. It's just not trying to be everywhere at one point. And I think that that was a big thing for me. What was your experience like? I definitely agree with that. That was the hardest thing for me coming in and just, you're so excited and you want to dive into like everything, but you also need to, you know, obviously give the most to your sport and still school. Um, So figuring out that balance was so, so important, but once I did, it was great. And then, you know, it was kind of coasting till then until I graduated and making sure I was just doing what I was supposed to do on the field, off the field and in the classroom. 
So um, this is an interesting topic. So you, you decided to elected to go to one of the hardest schools in the entire world. <laughs> what was that entire decision-making process like? Um, and, you know, how hard of a decision was it to, you know, want to choose a, such a prestigious school? Yeah, so I definitely wanted to continue after Seton Hall and go get my master's and stay in engineering. Um, and Columbia was kind of my top choice. I felt like being in the city was, it's great because there's just so much around. And again, with the time management though, but yeah, <laughs> you're just around a lot of really, really intelligent people. So that was part of the reason why I wanted to apply there more so than the name and all that, but to be able to pick up from people and your professors and even just students from all over the planet that just comes to this little school in New York yeah, to learn together. It's pretty amazing. What was your first experience like when you first stepped on campus as a student in Columbia? Like, I think not a lot of people had that experience to go to a, you know, one of the top schools, Ivy League school, like a world-renowned school. What was that, and you know, process like when you were able to walk there as a graduate student? It was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I was a very proud moment for me. Um, with COVID and everything, we were yeah, online that, that for a bit. That changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah, it kind of you know felt a little you know crappy but it was still just such a proud moment to even have gotten there and gotten in and starting on classes and it's still super exciting to be finishing off now and you know be able to now hang that diploma up on the wall and be like yeah I went here I completed this Mm -hmm. so obviously for most people who know you or maybe who may not know you but may know you from afar everyone knows that you are a huge advocate for Black Lives Matter what exactly really sparked you to, you know, become an advocate for it, you know, to be make to make it known? And, um, you know, what do you want to contribute out of it? And what was your what were your overall experiences like from it? Yeah. So, like I said, just living in New Jersey, growing up, I did grow up in a very diverse town. But then once I went to a Catholic school, I mm-hmm. had a completely different outlook at life. I was kind of just thrown to the wolves and um, I was one of the that was a struggle for me and just my identity in general. So for then, you know, the past being in college after that, it's was always important to me to see if someone may be struggling as well, that, you know, I went through that too and should be proud of who you are. There's no reason anyone should be able to, you know, make us feel down about who we are in our skin. So for me, I think it's important to continue to come together as a community and have these conversations and, and help the people that are younger than us. So, mm-hmm. you know, they maybe don't even have to grow up like that at all. And they don't have to go through some of those same journeys that we went through. So what do you think are the biggest conversations that need to be had about Black Lives Matter? Oof. I think in general, people need to not be scared to be open. Yeah. And um, not be scared of repercussions of what they may say, because, you know, if that kind of continues, then I think there's less space for growth there. And especially at Seton Hall, just, you know, even within Seton Hall, there was a bit of a few issues there too. Mm -hmm. I think that especially on an athletics level, it's important for coaches and people in authority positions to start these conversations. And I think like one of the big things that I try to tell people who may or may not you know, think that this is an issue. I think the reason why I don't think it's an issue is because it's so embedded in our culture. Like one thing that I noticed with, within sports is like 
as soon as something changes, then you see, okay, wow, that was such a big problem then. Um, you know, cause I was telling this to somebody about like the brawls and, you know, there was a huge brawl between Indiana Pacers and Detroit because everyone knows about that if you're, if you were an NBA fan and they were just saying that, that they couldn't believe that they would allow like fans on the court, uh, before years ago, they used to allow fans to rush the court during the NBA finals while the players were playing. And, you know, obviously bad things happened after that, but now like back then they used to think like that was fine. But until you see like, you're like, oh man, like that made no sense before, but that was the, that was what was embedded in the culture. And I think that a lot of people don't look at things like that because it's what's in our culture now. So I think that's a good conversation to have is to get out of our comfort zone and to try to challenge what, what's in the past to, to now, because I think a lot of people don't really even notice, Hey, like that may have been racist that you may have done that, or maybe that's just how things are and maybe things are just the way that they are just from this an historical process you know what i'm saying yeah completely agree with that it's just really the whole ignorance is bliss type of thing of if people don't experience it they don't know or they don't understand they almost don't believe it which is such a huge issue mm-hmm. so it's getting people to connect and you know just take people's word for things and move forward and grow from that but so did you do any of the marches yeah yeah which one did Um, you do so it was pretty great because I was able to do one in South Orange actually oh Um, really yeah and it was um uh kind of Black Lives Matter came together with the LGBTQ community within South Orange as well and it was a really powerful march um I went to a few others within New Jersey definitely was still trying to stay a little careful with COVID but it was very powerful. And I think it really brought, you know, at least for me, a lot of people together. So when was the aspect that you wanted to be a part of the LGBTQ uh, community? Was it around college or did you know, or, you know, what was that process like for you? Cause everyone has a little bit of a different story. Yeah. So that was kind of a whole other journey for myself and mm-hmm. kind of coming to terms and loving who I was without, you know, a lot of people still think that it's a lifestyle choice and whatnot. Um, But kind of goes hand in hand with Black Lives Matter of just loving yourself and being okay with that and not listening to what other people have to think about that. Um, So I think when you could have marches like that, that bring those two together on that front, it's pretty full and you open up people who, you know, we were walking by people who had signs of opposite thing, terrible to me. Some of those people that it's not a bad thing at the end of the day. So were you in college when you realized that you were gay or were you in high school? Oh, I was definitely in high school. You were definitely Um, in high school. Yeah. What was that process like? When did you, you know, you know, you know, figure that out? Um, I think probably always when I was a bit younger, but Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so important to have representation and media, whether or not, you know, music, any type of art form, realistically, because I wasn't really exposed to that that as much. So it was a very confusing time for me. And even in high school, the Catholic high school, it was so confusing and I didn't know what everything was. And then finally getting into college, you meet a lot more people and you meet people that are like you and look like you. And you're like, okay, it's it's really not bad at all. Like I'm not alone and 
there's a whole community that's with me on this. So we talked a little bit about it, you know, before this, um, obviously women in STEM. And I think that you have such a unique, um, you know, diverse culture. And you, like you said, you know, you being, you know, the only one who is black, gay, who works in your field, you know, what was that, what was that entire process like? Because me personally, and like many other people, I'm a college basketball player. On most college basketball teams, you're going to have about seven or eight black guys, like on most of them, like literally like 90% of them. So every single day I'm seeing, you know, a lot of people who are white or black, and that's what I'm used to. You know, you may get a, a couple of Asian kids here or maybe a couple overseas, you know, kids there, you know, whatever the case may be. But for the majority, every single day I go in, I'm seeing, you know, black, black boys. Um, I'm seeing, you know, white, uh, white boys. And I'm kind of, you know, it, it comes into a comfortable state where I don't necessarily even feel indifferent at all. You know, what was that process like for you, you know, going in every single day and kind of just being the only one? Um, but definitely, I realize how male dominant the field is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even for black men, there's not even that many black men in my program. So there's people from all across the world, but still it's kind of hard to find other people that are like you. Um, but you know, I was named after Jackie Robinson. So it's kind of like a, you just have to stay confident in who you are as a person and continue on your path. Just how kind of Jackie Robinson did, no matter if there aren't people that look like you around to kind of make that path for now more to come after. And I hope that's a bit of what I'm doing. And maybe one day, you know, someone will be able to see me in the workforce or whatever and be like, okay, yeah, I could do that. So you kind of want to be a a huge growing inspiration. Because like, like I said, for me, like if I had a daughter, um, obviously I don't have any younger sister, but like you will be one person I would really tell, you know, her to look up to, because like I said, you don't necessarily know exactly how everything's going to fold out but if you're confident in who you are your abilities like I said you don't have to be the best at anything but if you want to be the best version of yourself and that's the reason why I really wanted to do a podcast with you um, I think that when you are able to go through a lot of different things and become the best versions of yourself like I said you're a black um, a black gay woman that goes to literally I in my personal opinion I think the top a top three school in the entire world um, that I went to Thank school you. with you know, that's, you know, that's not done very often, but I think it's really important to push to be the best version of you that you can be with odds stacked against you, because whatever the case is, you may, like I said, you may not be the smartest student, you may not be the best athlete, but if you continue to push being the best you, things always seem to work out better. You know, have you felt that for yourself? Like, you know, not to toot your own horn, even though I know you're not that type of braggadocious person, but, you know, do you think that that is one thing that I, that you have done to, you know, really get yourself to, you know, such a high standard? Uh, sure. I didn't even think I was going to get into Columbia, to be honest. So for that, getting in and I was like, I'm going to go on that journey afterwards was so important to me. Um, and you know, even if you think you might not get in somewhere, I was going to not apply, but then I actually met another woman in engineering and she was just kind of explaining to me, like to stay, like you said, very confident, stay in your path, whether or not, you know, you're going to get there or not. 
and she's like what's the worst case you got denied and yeah. I ended up getting in you know and she's like see I knew you could do it but you know just keep that confidence in yourself and never let anything stop you whether or not you think you may not have the qualifications for something like you said you may not have the best grades may but be the best athlete to still just continue to push down because you never really know where your path will end up so I have a couple of fun questions. I always got four fun questions to end off the, the interview. So I thought it'd be fitting since you're a New Jersey, New York girl. I know I like to answer, you know, four or five quick questions at the end, and then I'll let you have your clothing statement. But which one would you rather stay in, upper or lower Manhattan? Probably lower Manhattan. I'm actually in upper Manhattan right now. But you like but, lower Manhattan? Yeah, there's just a bit more to do more nightlife there yeah for sure taxi or uber mm, that's a hard one probably taxi now uber is they're bringing themselves down taxi yeah car or train train pizza or hot dogs oh pizza all the way 99 cent oh, pizza come on <laughs> <laughs> you know I, for some reason everyone in the midwest says hot dogs everyone is supposed to have pizza i always you know that's just a, a universal thing well, come on, we got the best pizza on the East Coast, so yeah, it makes well, sense. really in the world. When I went over there, the, the pizza on the East Coast, specifically New York, I do like New Jersey pizza. What was that one place called, Trattoria in oh, South Orange? Yeah. That was literally, every, and I vlogged that. Like, everyone knows that's where I used to eat at. That was probably the best pizza I have ever had. Oh, the place is amazing. Yeah, and they're just like that all across New Jersey, New York, so we're lucky for that. For sure, for sure. Well, anyways, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Um, everyone follow uh, you at, what's your name on Instagram again? At Jackie forgot. Robs. At Jackie Robs. Make sure you guys follow her at Jackie Robs. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your experience. Like I said, um, you know, it means, you know, the word for me to, for you to come on my podcast, you know, share your experiences because obviously you've made it such a far way and you're only what, 23, 24 years old. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a blessing just to see, you, you know, do so well and to, you know, remain friend free from all, for all these years. And it's, you know, been, I can't believe I haven't like physically seen her in like three years. It's been, it's been <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy, man. I mean, thanks for having me and thanks for chatting with me here and for me to tell my story and hopefully, you know, maybe someday me and you can also help the younger generation kind of push through. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much.